Great to see you. Thanks for coming, y'all. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 39. Genesis 39, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of beginnings. When you think about the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters give us four great events. It's the creation, the flood, the the creation, the fall, the flood, and the, the spreading out of the people. And then from chapters 12 through 50, there are four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We're uh, continuing, of course, in our study, and in Genesis 39, uh, let's see, that's okay. In Genesis 39, our focus is on Joseph. And so he's a great man. He suffered at the hands of his brothers, if you think about that, and then in Egypt as well. But God used him to preserve the nation of Israel. Think about that. Here's this man, one guy that God used to preserve the nation. As we begin this chapter 39, Joseph has been sold into slavery, into Egypt. Things look bad, but we'll see that God is with Joseph. And not only uh, does God use Joseph in Egypt, but he blesses him. In fact, we call it this way, the slave becomes a ruler. A lot of times people call this Joseph goes from the pit to the palace. Now, as we look at this, several things stand out. I want you to see what they are. First of all, we see that as we look at it, God is with us. We see the whole issue of being faithful, and we see the issue of stewardship. I mean, that's powerful. God is with us. He'll never leave us, even in the hard times and the good times. Uh, the whole issue of being faithful in both little and big, and then the whole idea of stewardship. As we, as we look at this passage, it sort of stands out that with Joseph, we see that God's with Joseph all the way through. We see Joseph's faithfulness. We see uh, his stewardship. But there's an area of temptation that happens starting in chapter 39, (coughs) in fact, starting tonight, because we're only going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 39, we'll see how that fits together. And as we see this passage, we'll get principles that we, it really ties into my Sunday school class, we've been studying the book, uh, we've been studying temptation in Sunday school, and we saw Joseph even this passage as well, so there'll be a lot of things tonight. This evening, Joseph is blessed, Joseph is faithful, and God is with him. We'll see that as we go through the passage. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for Wednesday night and the fun that we have of having a meal and then coming together and then uh, studying the Word of God and then having time for prayer and then just all kind of different the ministries with the college and the youth and, and uh, the, the music and just so many things that go on. Thank you, Lord, for our church. I just love our church. I love the opportunity to come together with fellow believers. We just ask you, Lord, that as we look at Genesis 39, at least the first part, Lord, that you would teach us, help us to see things that are there that we can apply in our lives even right now. Lord, thank you for your Word, which is so perfect. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we never want to take for granted what he has done for us, how he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again, became our substitute. He is our Savior. He is the one who took our place. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, may we proclaim that message in this community to our friends, to people that we that we are dealing with, with on, a, on a daily basis, that you would use us to tell them the good news. Help, teach us now, Lord, especially as we think about that you're always with Joseph. You bless Joseph and, and that uh, Joseph was a faithful steward. May we, may the same be true for us. Teach us, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we think about television, people talk, uh, talk about television all the time. I just read a study that it's 99 point like five seven percent of every home in America has at least one TV. Most have two or three. Television is such a strong medium. The message broadcast goes into every home and shapes our culture. Uh, a, a writer from Christianity Today wrote and said, what if some TV programs were, were like Christian programs, but they were modeled after TV programs that, that have been or on? And one of them was, what, what about two sharp-looking Christians in a southeastern resort city uh, giving the gospel and working for peace and justice called Miami Virtue? Get it, Miami Vice? Get it, get it, you get it. Okay, what about an irreverent cartoon series featuring a very strong but naughty little boy called The Samsons? 
You know, okay, you got it. Television is a very powerful medium. And, and the message, of course, of the TV is that it's, it's contrary to, our, to, to the Word of God. One area seems to stand out that it's in every aspect, and that's the idea of sex. Almost every program, the commercials, they use sex, whether it's a beer commercial. It doesn't matter what it is. They have that. James Dobson, one of his newsletters about a year ago, he said, he was talking about the upcoming TV season. He said, you know, the stress this year will be even more on sex and physical relationships. Ninety-nine percent of all sex relationships on TV are shown to be with people who are not married to each other. TV is a shaper of our society. Uh, Larry Wolkatham, who's an author, he said one of the disturbing truths about TV that it eats books. That's how he put it. He says once out of school, 60% of adult Americans never read a single book once they graduate from school. 60% never read another book. They watch TV. Now, I'm going to give you some advice from Groucho Marx. Here's what Groucho Marx said. Groucho Marx said, I find television very educating. Every time somebody turns on the set, I go into another room and read a book. And that's pretty true. Our culture is inundated with the sex part. And the reason I want to bring that up is because it's pushed in our culture. It's pushed through the television. It's pushed everywhere. Well, this evening, that's what we see in Joseph's life. Joseph's in Egypt, and he's going to have to deal with sexual temptation. Not once, but day after day after day. Let me give you a statistic that you may not have ever thought about. If you go back 150 years, puberty... Of, of the average person in, in America, for the, for the guy, it was about uh, close to 15, and for the girl, it was about 14, and they were getting married at ages 18 and 19. So from the time they reached puberty, 14 and 15, till they were married, was about three to four years. Now we're finding that puberty is getting earlier and earlier. Some From some people, it's 11 or 12 years old. For some, it's 13. The people of medium marriage are getting married now is 25 so we're finding people having a 12-year gap from the time they reach puberty until they're married. That's average, where it used to be three years. That's what's happening. And our culture is just pushing and pushing and pushing. And we see in this passage, we see Joseph dealing with this. And you'd think, here's Joseph. He's just a slave, and he's been taken off and thrown into Egypt and a slave for this man. And, and so what else could happen? Well, we're going to see that Joseph in Egypt must deal with sexual temptation. And it happens day after day. And I think from this passage, we'll see some principles in dealing with temptation. Alan Ross, who is my Hebrew, one of the Hebrew professors at Dallas Seminary, entitles this chapter, How a Wise Man Resists Temptation. S. Lewis Johnson said, this passage shows us how to flee. Joseph... Uh, is a man who sometimes, we talked about this uh, before we switched over to Wednesday nights when we were doing it Sunday nights, is a man that uh, is sometimes looked at as a picture of Christ. You know, because he was despised by his brothers and ended up being a savior of his people. Jesus Christ came to them to his own, his own received him not, and became the savior of the world. Uh, Joseph was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. Why did they hate him? Well, he was sort of a tattletale. You know, you look at Joseph and you say, what a great man. And yet, if you said to his brother, was he a great man? You'd say, I don't even like him. I mean, he, he told stuff on us and he thinks he's better than everybody else. And he had these dreams from God that said that everybody else was going to bow down to him. And they hated him and they wanted to get rid of him. And when the opportunity came, they sold him to the Ishmaelites, also Midianites, same group, people group. And they lied to their father. They said that, uh, that Joseph was eaten by, apparently eaten by some animal. And so his father thinks that Joseph is gone. But, you know, here's what's so amazing is God is in control, and his plans cannot fail. 
And, you know, it's real funny. We saw last time that we really looked at this, we saw that passage in 38 about Tamar and Judah and, and how the nation of Israel, the longer they stayed in the land with the pagans, became, became more and more like the pagans. And we said, why in the world did God take his people down into Egypt and make them slaves? It was actually to save them to save them from the influence of the pagans in the land of Canaan, brought them down into Egypt, used Joseph to to save his people, deliver them in a sense, and then used Moses to bring them back when the iniquity of the Amorites was full. So there's some powerful things there in this passage. This evening we see some events and circumstances that God's going to use to raise Joseph into a place of leadership. Let me break down this whole passage for you. You won't see everything. We're just going to see about the first ten verses tonight. But we see verses 1 through 6. Joseph is faithful in his work. He receives blessings from God. He's favored. Then we see in 7, it's supposed to be 7 through 20, not 720, but Genesis 39, 7 through 20. Joseph is faithful in purity. There's the temptation. He refuses the wife of Pharaoh. Ends up, uh, I don't know what it means, lies cast in the prison. But anyway, he's cast in the prison. Then Joseph is faithful in prison. And we'll see what happens there. We won't get to see all of that, but uh, we'll see how it ties together. Well, let's begin. Joseph has been sold to the Ishmaelites, had been taken down to Egypt, sold to a man by the name of Potiphar, who is the captain of the guards of Pharaoh. Look at verse 1 of chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the body guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, I want you to realize that God's plan was to take Joseph to Egypt so he would be able to deliver his people and save them. Save them from two things. One is save them from the corruption of the Canaanite people. And number two is save them from the famine. That's the whole reason that Joseph is there, and, and God's going to use him. Potiphar was, it says here, had taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard. Let me tell you, you talk about a, a big job. This guy was the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, which means he was one of the most important men in all of Egypt. I mean, Pharaoh, you understand that Pharaoh was considered a god. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in Egypt. His son, his son that would be coming up, would be considered God as well. Because when Pharaoh would die, whatever happened to Pharaoh, his son would become the next Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was considered to be a God. And that's why in all of the, and we're going to see it someday because we're going to do a little bit of the Exodus passage. We're going to see that when God brought judgment on Egypt, every one of the judgments were judgments on the different gods of Egypt. Whether it was a cow or whether it was the son, even firstborn child because Pharaoh's firstborn son was going to be was going to, was a god who would take over and be the ruler of Egypt. So this man named Potiphar is very very important man. He is the bodyguard god bodyguard to Pharaoh, very very powerful very powerful man. Now, we could say this, where is God when all this happens? Because you could say, okay, look, we what if you didn't know everything? Because we got the whole Bible. We already know all the stories. We know how it's going to turn out. We know everything. But what if we didn't? And we'd say, look, Joseph is a great man. Joseph has done right. Joseph, And it's not fair that, first of all, his brothers threw him in a well. It's not fair that his brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites. It's not fair that he becomes a slave in Egypt. That's not fair. And where is God when this happens? And sometimes in our lives we say, this isn't fair that this happened to me. And why would God allow this to happen? And sometimes when things go wrong, we think God's not with us. We say if God was really with us, in fact, that's the devil's lie. Remember we said that the devil lie, he wants you to doubt God's love and doubt God's word. And the devil's lie, if God really loved you, why would this be happening to you? 
And every one of us have things that happen and we go, I don't understand why this happened. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know it. And some people would say, if God was really with Joseph, why would he let this happen? Well, God is there in the tough times and he's there in the good times. Hebrews 13 says he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He is there. We're going to find that God is with Joseph and the Lord is with us. And how do we respond when things go wrong? Um, there was a book several years ago that the entitled of it was, Where is God When It Hurts? He's there. Three things stand out, I think, as we go through the passage. One is that God is with Joseph. Number two, God blessed Joseph. And number three, we're going to see Joseph's faithfulness as far as stewardship is concerned. And we'll see how all that ties together. So there's a lot of things. Let's start with the very first thing, and that is that God is with Joseph. Now, let me just say this. Isn't it great to know that if God is with Joseph... God is also where He's with every one of us in this room. It doesn't matter where we go. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? Uh, we'll always be with the Lord. We're connected with Him. We've been seated and raised up with Christ. So listen, God is always with us. Well, God is with Joseph. Look again at verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So, so we'd say, well, where is he now? Well, God's with him. Number 2, notice verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So the very first thing we realize is the Lord was with Joseph. And the word Lord there is, is Y-H-W-H. Remember, it's all capitals. Just in case you forgot, whenever you study the Old Testament and you see the word Lord, and it's capital L and little O-R-D, it's the word Adonai. It's the idea of the word of master. But when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all capitals, that's how it is in this passage, it's the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H, which is the personal name of God. And Jewish people wouldn't even say it. In fact, they took the consonants basically from YHWH and the vowels from Adonai and put them together and came up with a word. What is the word? Jehovah. It's Jehovah. Yeah. Yeah, Yahweh is YHWH. That's the best way they pronounced it. But they took those two and put them together and it became Jehovah. So when people say Jehovah, in reality, there's not they're not even really a word, Jehovah. There's either YHWH or Adonai, or those two names there. Or Elohim or El, which is the just the name for God. The Lord was with Joseph. And notice what it goes on to say. And so he became a successful man. Literally, the Hebrew says he, he was made successful. Who made him successful? Who made him successful? God did. I mean, there can be no success apart from God. He is the eternal God, and we can do all... Apart from Him, we can do what? Absolutely nothing. And in Christ, we can do all things. So God blesses Joseph, even as a slave. And he's successful even as a slave. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You, you, some people would say, how in the world can you be successful as a slave? Are you a slave? Are every one of us room are slaves? If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're a slave of who? You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You're a slave of Jesus Christ. Can you be successful? You sure can, because who's going to make you successful? Jesus Christ himself working through us. Well, anyway, it says the Lord, the personal God, was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. He was successful. Realize how God's success blesses us. and that First of all, he gives us eternal life. The whole idea of salvation, we go from death to life. You think of the Christian life, he gives us the power. We have victory. Even in the future, he's going to come get us and we'll be with him, all of those kind of things. Notice 
how Joseph acts as a slave. You know, if you if you lived in now, let me ask you something. We think about the Jewish people, and you got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob was Joseph's father, and Jacob had how many children, or how many guys? At twelve, and then he had a daughter, and and was he rich or not? He's extremely rich. Had a lot of property, a lot of everything. How would you feel if you were Joseph and you were rich? Your daddy was rich. You were the favored one of your family, and now you're a slave in Egypt. As you could say, this isn't turning out that good, you know. But what did he do? Did he say, "I quit"? Did he say, "God, you're not, you're not, you're nothing, God"? I mean, obviously, you don't care about me. It says the Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Do you realize that God is with Joseph? God also does something else. Next slide, if we got it. God blessed Joseph. Now, what's so amazing, not only did he bless Joseph and prosper Joseph, he blessed Potiphar also. We'll talk about it in just a second. But notice the next verse. So, so the Lord's with Joseph. He became a successful man. He was in the house of his master, Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Listen, everything that he did, uh, some people call it turn to gold. You know, there's some people, you look at them and everything they do seems to turn out right, doesn't it? Well, Joseph was that way because God was blessing him and God said, I'm going to take a slave who is my man, Joseph, who I'm bringing down here to prepare and get the way ready to save my people existence so that I can eventually bring them aside into the world. This is the whole plan. And so he's going to get Joseph down there and here he is a slave, but everything that he does turns good you know i said well ago that he also blessed potiphar look down at verse five it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned the lord blessed the egyptian's house on account of joseph thus the lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field now they're talking about potiphar he gets everything so everything that, that Joseph did turned good. Potiphar says, you know, everything that guy does is good. That's good for me. He works for me. He touches my stuff. It's good. I like this guy. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad I got this slave. Because it seems that God is with him. We can be used by God to bless other people's lives. See, sometimes we think, well, God was with Joseph and God blessed Joseph. And we say, yeah, God blessed Joseph. But guess what? When God is blessing us, what else can he do? He blesses other people. Because when your life is for the glory of the Lord, not only do you receive blessing, but God uses you to bless other people as well. Well, here's the third thing. We saw that God was with Joseph. God blessed Joseph. The third thing is we see Joseph's faithfulness in his stewardship. Look at uh, verse 3 again. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. See, when it started out, he was just a servant in the household. But, but every time Pharaoh looked around, whatever this guy was doing, it was turning out good. And turning out blessing, he finally said, you know what? This guy's something. I'm gonna, I'm, he's going to be my personal servant. So Joseph found favor in the sight, and he became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. Potiphar put him in charge of the entire house. Joseph became his steward. 
Now, in stewardship, really the key there is two things. One, it's faithfulness and rewards. The idea of faithful moral brethren is required of stewards to be found trustworthy or faithful. And when we're faithful and we do what God wants us to do, he will what? Reward us. You realize that every aspect of everything that we have is really from God. And we're to be stewards of whatever he has. I mean, you think about our clothes, our houses, our cars, our money, our time, our possessions, our abilities. Everything that we have is from God. So stewardship, think what stewardship really is. I think I have a definition. Stewardship is a wise use of our master's possessions. If you are a steward, the stuff doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your master, but you're to use it wisely for your master. In reality, everything that we have is not really ours. We, we call it ours. We say, that's my car and my house and this and my time. You know, I don't want to waste my time. You know, who decides how long we live? Teach us to number our what? Not, de- not months, not years, days. Because, our, you know, when David was running from Saul and he just said, you know, my life is just in God's hand. It's just like that. It could be over any second. Each of us are stewards. All that we have has been entrusted to us from God. We're to be wise stewards of our time, possessions, gifts, talents, all that belong to him. Steve Breedlove, in an article in, da- in uh, Kindred Spirit, which is a magazine put out by Dallas Seminary, he said this, We hold all assets, time, money, talents, relationships, all on loan from God. We are managers, not owners. Stewards, not consumers. And one day, we will stand before God and give an account. That means everything that we have, we need to really look at it. And it's really, sometimes it's hard because we go through life as if everything is ours. And we think, I've got to take care of this, I've got to protect this, I've got to do... We've got to realize that it's actually God's, and we want to use it for His glory. You know... I think about that, realize that everything we have comes from him and use all for his glory. If we would think about that every day when we get up and as we go through life and as we think about all the blessings, think what it would be. Charles Wesley said, with what God has given, we are to use as he pleases, which I thought was pretty neat. Joseph is a faithful steward. How, how are we to be faithful stewards? Well, think about it. We're supposed to be faithful stewards of our lives. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. Therefore, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So we think about our lives. Uh, we're to use as wise stewards. The time that we have on this earth, the, 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 all of the things that he's given us, this life. The second thing, what about the gifts and talents that he's given us? 1 Peter 4, 10 says, As each one has received a gift, use it. In serving God. Use it. What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your abilities? Think about your spiritual gifts. Probably most Christians realize that they don't even know what their gifts are. They don't know what their spiritual gifts are. Some of them understand some of their, their talents. You know, I can sing, I can do this. Some of them understand their abilities. You realize our gifts, talents, and abilities all 
are for the glory of God, and we're to use them. We're to be wise stewards of that. The third is our, our possessions. Matthew 25 talked about First Timothy. You remember when we finished First Timothy, and it talked about uh, all the, you know what you're to do with everything: be generous and 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 willing to give, and and all of those things. And don't 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 trust in money, but but be generous. That's with our possessions. We're to be wise stewards. And then our time. Ephesians 5:16. You know, make the most of our time because the days are evil. So we realize our lives, our gifts, our talents, our possessions, our time, all of those are to be used for the glory of God. It's amazing. Well, look what happened. It came about that from that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. I love Warren Wiersbe's statement. He says this, God doesn't bless just to make us happy. He blesses us to make us a blessing. Think about all you have. And, and, and the great joy it is to do what? It is more blessed to give than receive. I tell you, it's the most amazing thing as you grow as a believer. It becomes a joy to give. If you don't give and you don't have joy to give, you're not growing very much. In fact, I'd hate to say it, but I'll just say it. You're pretty immature. Just face it, you know, because immaturity says, I want, I want. And maturity says, I give, I give. So think about your life. What do you, is it yours anyway? It's not. It's all for the glory of God. Well, look what happened. So he, and he's talking about uh, Potiphar, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty big for a slave, isn't it? Give it all to a slave. And, and with him there was not, he did not concern himself with anything except what? The food which he ate. wonder why. I mean, yeah, because somebody could poison you. So he checks that, he checks that himself. He makes sure that, you know, he, he, the food is what he's watching out for because he says, Joseph, you got everything else, I'll take care of the food end of it because if anybody's going to kill me, that'd be the way to get to me, is to poison me. You know, because as a, as captain of Pharaoh's guards and important man that he is, somebody might want to kill him. And so he said, Joseph, everything is in your hands. Wow. God has blessed Joseph. God's with him. You know, have you ever thought about that everything is in God's hands? And we're to wisely use what he's given us. He's with us both the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. Now, let's face it. If you're Joseph right now, is this a good time in your life or a bad time in your life? It would have to be, wouldn't it, if you're a slave? And you've been rich and free all your life. Now you're not rich and free. You have absolutely what? Nothing. You're a slave. Everything that you touch and deal with all day long does not even belong to you. And yet, everything you touch turns to gold. Everything you touch turns out good. And Pharaoh's, uh, Potiphar says, good job. Just keep on, just keep, whatever you're doing, just keep on doing it. Just keep on doing it. Now, there's a reason that uh, verse 6 is, is fixed the way it is. My Bible actually has the last part of verse 6. Uh, almost start, It actually starts a new paragraph. Notice, so he left everything that he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him he didn't even concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now... Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. If we just stopped there, we would say, wonder why he just threw that in at the end. I mean, because Joseph's a slave. And I think, why did he throw out that Joseph is handsome? Looks good, because it's fixing to start the next section. And the next section deals with this temptation that's coming. And it's going to deal with, with Potiphar's wife. 
and he's going to show us what's going on there, and it prepares us for this next section. Now, I, here's a statement to think about. Whoops. I don't, I, was there a slide above that one? Was there anything above that? Yeah, there is the one I'm looking for. Just because we're living for God doesn't mean that we're exempt from temptation or problems. Somehow we think that if we live for Christ, that we shouldn't have any problems. Like, I'm just I'm serving God. I don't know why these kind of things happen. Or if you're living for Christ, you think, why, why do these temptations happen? Why did this come into my life? Why, what's going on? Well, Joseph is doing everything God wants him to do. And yet we'd say, uh, it's already bad enough that he's become a slave. It's already bad enough he's far away from all of his family. And it's bad enough that, that he's in the situation he's in. And now he's going to have another problem. And it's this temptation. Look at verse 7. It came about it after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. And you know, the Bible never beats around the bush. It says she looked at him with desire, which means she lusted after him. She looked at him and wanted him physically and she said, I want you to have sex with me. That's what she said. Now, when this temptation, here's this temptation. that I think there's two things to think about when she said, lie with me. There's a temptation there. That because I'm sure that Joseph was a normal guy, and we talked about this uh, a little bit in my Sunday school class. That that being being the wife of such an important man in Egypt, she may have been a pretty woman, and he may have been sort of tempted. Here's this woman comes up to him and says, "I, I want I want us to have sex." So there's the temptation, and sometimes with temptation comes what we call rationalization and we begin to say well you know i'm i'm far away from my family and you know i deserve something i mean i'm working myself to death i'm doing everything i'm supposed to do and i mean what has it got me so far nothing and after all i mean i'm, I'm not going after her she's coming after me and who, who, who would ever know i mean she's certainly not going to tell her husband right and who else is going to ever know about this rationalization? What does he do? How do we respond? I read something that I was going to bring it up when we finished First Timothy a couple of weeks ago. It was the whole idea of love of money. You remember the passage says, for the love of money is the root. There was a study that said 20%... They did a survey. Now, it's not 20% of everybody in the United States, but 20% of the survey. They surveyed, I think it was something like 1,000 people. And of those, 20% said that for a million dollars, they would kill, they would, they would kill someone if, if they could never be found out. 20% of the people. If somebody would say to you, we would give you a million dollars if you kill somebody. Would you kill someone for a million dollars if nobody could ever found out that you killed them? 20% of the people said yes. Rationalization. Who's going to know? I need the money. I could give some of this money away. Right? Think how people rationalize. Look what he does when the situation comes. 
Verse 7 again, it came about these events that his master's wife looked at him with desire of Joseph, and she said, Lie with me, but he refused, and said to his master's wife, Behold with me, behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he's put all that he owns in my charge. And the first thing he says, Look, my master, trust me. My master, trust me. Everything that belongs to my master, he's put in my charge. He trusts me. Verse 9, there is no one greater in the house than I am. Nobody. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. So he starts off and he says, listen, wait a minute. My master trusts me. But here's the second part. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? I think two things. My master trusts me and sins against God. Listen, there's an idea that we're accountable to others as well as we're accountable to God. You could say, but nobody will ever know. Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord go in every place, beholding the good and evil. No matter what you do, no matter who you think you're hiding it from, God knows. Now, he knew what was right and wrong, and he knew this was evil. He knew it would be against God. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it okay to have sex? The answer is yes. The key is with whom and when. With whom? The one you're married to. When? When you're married. That's right. That's it. I talk about this when I do premarital counseling because I say that our whole culture says have as much sex as you can possibly have. And they say it like this, have safe sex. There's no such thing as safe sex. But our culture says have as much sex as you can have. The Word of God says that you will go through your entire life and only have sex. If you get married, only have sex with one person. And the only people that have sexual relations with more than one person is someone who is married and their spouse dies and they marry someone else. That's what the Word of God says. So he, he knows what's right. And he says, listen, uh, my master has put everything in my charge, and he trusts me, and I cannot sin against my master, and I cannot sin against God. Listen to this. This is First Thessalonians. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read it to you. This is what God thinks about the whole aspect of sexual relations. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what he says. But this is the will of God. Your sanctification, which means you be set apart. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. But he's basically saying there's no how to control your own body. He said, this is God's will, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you'd be set-apart person. He says that you know how to hold, possess your own vessel, your own body, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles that do not know God. When he's saying, basically, the unbeliever, he's saying, you don't live like an unbeliever who doesn't know me. So how do we deal with sexual temptation? You know what we say? We say it's wrong. We say that God desires our purity. So how, how do we think about sexual sin? It's wrong. It's against God. And it's actually wrong. It's against others. We're accountable not only to God, but we're accountable to others as well. It's powerful. So what happens? As she spoke to Joseph, this is, this is what's amazing, verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day. This wasn't a one-time deal. This wasn't a thing that she came in and said, listen, I was just wondering, would you, want, would you do this? And he said, no. She said, oh, okay, well, I just, I, it's worth a shot, you know, right? No, it's every day. 
She spoke to Joseph day after day. I love this. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Listen, this was day after day. And notice this, this next little part up here. He, he did not listen. He, he refused to consider it. He did not lie with her. He wasn't in any position to be close to her. And he would not be alone with her. It says he, he didn't want to be with her. And, and, and it says uh, to, uh, to be beside her or to be with her. You know what he probably started doing is from that point on, whenever he was doing something in the house and she came, he probably left. Probably left the room. He probably he said, I'm not going to put myself in that position. When she would say, come lie with me, he said, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not going to consider this. What happens when there's a temptation and you begin to consider it? What happens? Well, you begin to go, well, uh, well, you know, you, you can't consider it. You all, we all know what is right and what is wrong. And when there is something that's wrong that is tempting us, we can't even consider it. Don't even listen to it. Don't put ourselves in that position. Get away from it. That's what we see over and over and over. Luther said, in temptation, close your eyes and follow the word. Joseph could have thought... Nobody will know. It'd be okay. Don't rationalize. You know what people say? People say things like this. We love each other. We love each other. Guy's famous line, if you love me, you will. No. Love never asks another person to do something wrong. Love always wants what's best for the other person. Well, we're going to get married. We're going to get married. See? So it's okay because we're going to get married. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. You don't know. Well, next time, the trap. Notice verse 10. Uh, verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and for some strange reason, none of the men of the household were inside. How could that be? Where were all the other workers? Why was Joseph the only man in the house that day when he went to do his work. She sure did. And we're going to see what happens next time. What have we seen? We've seen God's with Joseph both both when he's been taken down to Egypt, when he's with Potiphar, when he's with jail, in jail, all of these things. There's blessings and rewards for faithfulness. And what are we supposed to do? Be wise stewards. We see the temptation from Potiphar's wife. Joseph resists. He says, my master trusts me. I'm not going to go against him. And this would be wrong. I'm not going to sin against God. And we'll see it as we go through it. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Just realize God is always with us. He is. Uh, we have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He is always there in the bad times and in the good times. There's never a time you'll be separated from God, ever. Is He with you right now? If you died, where would you be? To be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Literally face to face. Listen, you can never be separated from God. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall what? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. For your sake, what? We're being put to death all day long. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Height or death or anything. Things present, things to come, angels, principalities, powers. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
Rest in Him in the trials and problems. He's always with us. He works all things together for good. This is real good, isn't it? This is real good. Isn't this real good? This is a great passage, isn't it? Isn't everything really good for Joseph right now? We'd say it's not good at all. But is God going to turn it for good? What did he say to his brothers? You meant it for evil and God meant it for good. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always going to be. How do we respond when things go wrong? Do we go, that's it. Or do we say, Lord, I don't understand. But I trust you because you're there. Second. Be wise stewards of all that God has given to us. Think about it. All that we have comes from God, our time, our positions, our gifts, our talents, everything. We're to use them for the honor and the glory of God. And, and one day you're going to give an account. That's the thing about it. Think about your life. What are your gifts and talents? Where are you using them? How are you serving? It's so amazing. The third thing is be ready for temptation. That study that we've been doing in Sunday school has been going for a, a good while. We're less than six or seven now, and we're just seeing all kind of things. And uh, be ready because, it, especially in our culture, the sexual temptation. I mean, there's all kind of temptations, but they're all there. A, just remember this. God desires our purity. The First Thessalonians passage is very powerful. He, God desires our sanctification. So we want to be men and women. Listen, you may say, you may say, well, right now where I am, I have blown it. It's never too late to start right now. From this day forward, be a man or a woman of purity. It's never too late. Forget the things that are behind, press on the things that are ahead. You can't change the past, can you? You can sure change the future. You can sure live for the glory of God. So God desires our sanctification. And make, make the decision to obey God in this area. Think about it. It's wrong because it's against God. It's wrong because it's against others. It's powerful. So as we realize that God is always with us, let's be wise stewards of all that God has entrusted to us, knowing that uh, the temptations are coming and we want to live for the glory of God in every aspect. Let's pray. And then if you've got questions or comments, we'll, we'll do it. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the passage. Thank you for Joseph's life. He's just an amazing man. We, 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 we just see, Lord, that even day after day after day, he, he would not even listen to her. He would not lie beside her or he would not even be with her. And, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that in our lives that we know temptations are coming. We want to be ready. We want, we want to live pure lives. We want to be men and women who are pure starting even today. We just want to live for the glory, for your glory. And thank you that you're always with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that everything we have is really yours. And we just want to use it for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for these things. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.